Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 13th, 2022, including... Stalker 2 has been delayed. New rumblings are coming from the State of Decay 3 developer. Take-Two has purchased Zanga in what is now the largest acquisition in the games industry, and more. Welcome to 13600 episodes, that's the way to say it, of Xbox On Podcast, the number one Xbox podcast I do each and every week. You can find it on Apple and Zulu and Papa and all the major services where podcasts are sold. But guys, first of all, you know, how about, how are we all feeling? You know, we're recording this the night of the 12th. Happy birthday, mom, by the way. And, uh, you know, tonight is the night the Call of Duty Vanguard update goes live for zombies, the infamous new zombies mode that everyone hates, except me. I kind of have fun with it. It's not great. I'm having fun with it anyway. But the update goes live tonight. Try and remedy some of the issues people are having with it. Uh, I would be trying it out right now, but here we are instead doing a podcast. That's how fucking dedicated I am to you guys. I love you so damn much. I gave up Nazi zombies uh, to talk to you guys so that he... Uh, may not perish, but forever have eternal two-hour podcasts each and every Thursday when this podcast goes live. Hey, guys, let's jump into this week's episode. We got, you know, for the second episode of the year, we've got a surprisingly chunky episode uh, from a news standpoint. We got a decent amount of comments, lots of news to get into, so I won't try to waste too much of your time with the whole, oh, opening segment this, uh, housewarming kind of segment that. No, we'll, we'll get right into the meat. And potatoes of the situation at hand here, because guys, the, the fact of the matter is, you can't go around trusting these mainstream outlets these days. You know these these polygons, these IGNs, they cannot provide to you unbiased truth about games news. That's why we're covering just one video game platform. Is because we're so unbiased. Everything you need to know going on in the video games world, you're going to learn in this Xbox only podcast. That's how incredibly not one-sided I am. So you're welcome for this unbiased news. Now, guys, we got to open up with a couple little stories, not necessarily little in terms of magnitude or, or importance, but more so in terms of what I really have to offer to say on these. But these are you know, some interesting updates and developments and some of some late breaking news. Let's just let's just start with the one that I find to be the most humorous, which is that the Entertainment Software Association, the SA the ESA, uh, have confirmed that this year 2022 E3 in person will once again be canceled. Third year in a row. In a statement in the from the organization in regards to the decision to uh make you know to to not have an in-person event 
I bet I bet you can guess what it what it is, guys. All you fully vaccinated people, I bet you can guess what we're still complaining about: the ongoing health risk during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Oh my God, I'm not even remotely tired of talking about this anymore, guys. Uh, fuck everything. I don't give a shit if your kid just lost their first tooth or if you just got diagnosed with uh, being a dumbass. No, we had to talk about the more important thing, which you're definitely not tired about talking about. This is the fucking cancel everything and do nothing i I gotta be honest with you guys e3 is kind of fucked i feel like covid ended up kind of being the the excuse to finally have this happen but i i don't know how you survive three years in a row of not being able to do a proper e3 and with things like the game awards continually ramping up each and every year to be a bigger and bigger event you know the other week we just talked about how the game awards had such a massive record-breaking number of uh viewers and you know we we see things like all the other online events just grow and grow. And we see other in-person events like PAX and Gamescom and everything start to go digital. And we see more independent companies doing their own showings, like these various little streamed Xbox events and PlayStation, Nintendo events and all these things throughout the year. The more and more we see this all take off, the less and less relevant and important E3 becomes. And I'm afraid three years in a row of just not being able to, to do a proper E3. I don't know how you recover from that. I don't know how you salvage that situation, especially when even before COVID, Sony, one of your biggest draws, uh, basically just dropped you. So E3, normally this would have been a big story, but you know, at this point, it's like, can anyone really be surprised? So fuck you. You're done for. That's okay. I actually like E3. I enjoy E3 the best out of all the big events just because it is historically just a really fun time. So it is sad to see E3 go. It's always something I looked forward to and enjoyed since being a wee lad. But nonetheless, I guess everyone does their own Nintendo Direct thing these days. So we don't need you. Now, speaking of news, everyone's fucking tired of. You said, Jesse, I'm so tired of listening to people talk about COVID after all these years. It's like, who cares? Because all I care about is Xbox News. That's why I click on Xbox on the podcast, the show. And I said, okay, well, I bet I can find something you are even more exhausted from listening to than COVID. And you said, what could be more annoying and, 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 and redundant to hear about after all this time? And I said, shut up, because here you go. NFTs, motherfucker. Yeah, that's right. Because remember three years ago when we all hoped that maybe one day man would make it to the moon and that uh, you'd find true love and that maybe you'd be able to enjoy the simple pleasures in life like reproduce and make a kid and watch it grow up to be the person you always wish you could be and watch your kid grow past you and be better than you in every single way well no nowadays we just dream about fucking covid and nfts and elon musk and i wish we would all die but unfortunately we're cursed and we have to be here so let's just try to make the most of it and talk about xbox but speaking of mfts which stand for mutually fuckable transactions uh sega Good news. Sega has indicated that it will abandon its plans to explore NFT content in their video games if it's perceived as, quote, simple money-making schemes rather than something that can actually captivate its users. So, guys, all I need to say, like, all you need to have, all you need to know on this story is just that right there. Fucking Sega. How was it Sega of all companies that was like, yeah, we're possibly exploring NFTs like everyone else. And then they're like, but... If our users think like, no, this is stupid, we don't want this, this is slimy, get this out of our games, we will be the ones to say no. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what we all... Now, obviously, it's like, well, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're seen as a more vulnerable company, maybe, you know, Sega is not in bad shape by any means, but 
they're not they're not Activision by by any stretch of the imagination. And so, if you are someone who is a little more volatile in the market, like Sega, maybe you know you feel a little bit more pressure to bend to the the will of your audience. And in this case, I'm all for it because no one fucking wants NFTs. And the thing is, even the people who write in from time to time say, Jesse. Stop being mean to NFTs. NFTs have feelings too. I always say, okay, that's fine. We don't have to hate on NFTs, but defend it, justify it, explain it. And no one ever can. They always just go back to trying to give you the fucking Merriam-Webster definition of an NFT rather than justifying their existence in relation to video games. So because no one in the fucking world seems to have the capability of explaining what makes an NFT a relevant piece of gaming... I'm going to continue to riff on them and assume they're shitty and bad, even though my tiny, undeveloped brain doesn't really have a full grasp over anything regarding to the blockchain or the crypto or the NFT. And I know NFT is not necessarily Bitcoin or anything. It's a totally different game. Trust me, I hate. there's a special hatred I have for NFTs that I don't have for other crypto. But th- this, is, this is just one of those things. It's like no one can defend it properly, but there's always this like die hard audience, ride or die audience that's always going to defend it. And then the, the other 99% of rational human beings are like, yeah, fuck NFTs. So Sega, good on you for being like, oh, here's an opportunity to just fucking rake our fucking audience and, and st- basically rob them of their money. But if it makes us look bad, I guess we won't do it. And for that, I just got to say, I can't believe I had to say this, but thank you. Because... That's what Sega said this week, but right below that, I got a story here where Konami is on the other end, like, oh, whoa, 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 we are pushing the sale of NFTs. So, as reads from VGC, the Metal Gear Solid and Silent Hill publisher announced that it would be auctioning off Konami Memorial NFT Collection, which would feature 14 unique artworks from the Castlevania series celebrating the game's 35th anniversary. The full collection will be put up on a worldwide auction on January 12th, which is the day I'm recording this. So if you're listening now, you've already missed it. Boo-hoo. I guess you're not going to get a fucking Castlevania NFT that shows fucking, all, uh, what's his name? Alucard <laughs> swinging his little rope dick around. I don't know. I've never played Castlevania. But the, the I, I want to hurt myself because this is the thing. So it's kind of nice because Konami and Sega are actually kind of similar publishers in that both classic Japanese games publishers that have huge influence over some of the great earlier era of gaming from the late 80s and the 90s and whatnot, and both have kind of had their ups and downs and arguably have become significantly less relevant and important than they once were, but Konami's over here being like, oh my god, an opportunity to make money. Fuck gamers, uh, money please. And Sega's like, oh my god, an opportunity to make money. Wait, let's think about this in the long run. Maybe we shouldn't piss off our loyal users because maybe they they'll turn on us if we treat them like horse shit. And uh, yeah, so there's that. Now I'm tired of talking about NFTs, so I just really wanted to bring this up for the sake of dogging on Konami and dogging on NFTs and telling you if you're someone who likes NFTs or is inclined. To, to, to think that this is awesome, this is dope, you got a jewel vape pen, and you drive a Subaru WRX, and you want everyone to know, no, 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 you just don't get NFTs, and I got some news for you. If Sonic the Hedgehog ain't down, then I'm not ready to clown, so fuck you, 
And let's move on to something a little more lighthearted. We talked about COVID, which I know you're all tired of. We talked about NFTs, which I know is so exhausting. You're thinking, Jesse, I just want to hear about the Xbox news. Please tell me about Halo Infinite. It makes me so happy when I play that game because it reminds me that there's a way to enjoy this wretched world we're all subjected to. And I said, guys, calm down. The COVID talk is over. The NFT talk is over. I promise it won't show up again in the news for the rest of the week. That's awesome. Now let's talk about sexual harassment. So VGC reports that Xbox boss Phil Spencer has said that he does not believe it is his job to, quote, punish other companies like Activision Blizzard for their transgressions. However, the exec has confirmed that, quote, he is that he's changed how to do certain things with the Call of Duty publisher following the recent abuse allegations. In a recent New York Times interview, Phil Spencer was cagey about what this actually meant in practice, which is not surprising because Phil Spencer is usually pretty, like, PR suit and tie buttoned up about everything he says. But after it was pointed out, that Xbox Live played a significant role in the early and continued success of Call of Duty. He says, quote, the work we do specifically with partners like Activision is something that obviously, you know, I'm not going to go talk about publicly. We have changed how we do certain things with them. They're aware of that. Okay, I want to get back to that quote because that quote sucks. But continuing on, Phil Spencer reiterated that reports of workplace toxicity, quote, saddened and sickened him while also noting that Xbox's history is not spotless. He went on to discuss what he called the company's GDC dance party moment in 2016 when scantily clad women were hired to perform on platforms. While regretful, he said that he had learned to be a better company because because of the event that he'd rather help others do the same than reprimand them for their own transgressions. Saying, quote, wrapping up with this quote, any of the partners that are out there, if I can learn from them or I can help with the journey that we've been on Xbox by sharing that we've done what we have built, I'd much rather do that than get any kind of finger wagging at companies out there, he said. So let's, I, I sound a little mean towards Phil Spencer. Let's talk, let's do a good thing first. Okay. This is something I really respect because this is something that I think companies have to be mindful of because this could bite them in the ass. And we saw in, in the news just a little bit, just a week or two ago, that this this almost bit Sony in the ass. So every corporation has the same problems Activision has. Every corporation. I work for a big company. I do not know a specific instance of this happening at my company that I work for right now, but statistically, it's definitely happened multiple times at my company without a doubt. Okay, pick. I'm going to I'm going to blindfold myself and pick a random company. Quaker Oats. Yes, there's been workplace misconduct. There's been harassment. There have been death threats. There have been sexual harassment. There has been uh, racism. There has been wage inequality. There's been all that Quaker Oats. Yeah, the fucking oatmeal guys. Okay, pick another company. Um Raid, the, the 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 product that kills bugs. That might be Johnson & Johnson. I don't fucking know. They seem to own everything. But the bug spray company that murders cockroaches so that they're not in your home. I promise you, 100% statistically, it is just a fact. Someone in that company has been sexually harassed. Someone's been verbally abused. Someone's been paid an unfair lower wage for what they do and who they are. I promise you the CEO of all these companies has been a terrible person because you really can't even be a CEO without being a terrible person. It's kind of like, you know being Santa Claus and being real. You can't be both. You got to be one or the other. And so it's one of these things where it's just like, Xbox isn't in a position, Microsoft isn't in a position to be like, shame on you, Activision, you should know better, because then you could get a little 
Jason Schreier type figure who would go and dig up some dirt on Xbox and be like, in 2006, this shaggy haired motherfucker named Jay Reynolds was hired by Microsoft because he had a big brain, but he also had zero social awareness. And he went to a work function while he was coding on the, the beloved game Project Gotham Racing 3. And he um, went to a girl and said, uh, boobies are good. And then she was like, wow, I feel uncomfortable. And she complained to HR. And then that guy did not get fired because the guy in HR was like, boobies are good. And then that guy in HR didn't get fired. And at the time, Xbox did a terrible job of handling the situation. And then Jason Schreier will be like, this is real journalism. And then he'll publish the story and everyone will be like, this is why you need to buy the PlayStation 5 because Xbox is a bunch of booby loving sexist pigs and Activision actually is now forgiven because we can only focus on one atrocity at a time therefore Activision absolved of all their guilt and Xbox is now the new bad guy so I get I get that you cannot you cannot represent a brand as big as Xbox a corporation as powerful and big and influential as Microsoft and point the finger at Activision for something that you probably aren't guilty of as well so Phil Spencer all due respect, not only for behaving that way because you know that's true, but also having the fucking balls to be like, hey, we've been those guys before. This is that weird, this is this is that thing I like love and also hate about Xbox and Microsoft right now, is they're doing like that next level PR where like, this is like a step past Arby's trying to be meme lords on Twitter. This is like, actually two steps past that. This is kind of creepy because this is the point where we're at the point where like, look at that, that new documentary series on Xbox. that's on YouTube. It's like Xbox is calling themselves out. Xbox is talking about their failures very candidly. Xbox is talking about bad things that happened in their company, which make them so fucking likable that it makes us want to forgive them for shit. But guys, keep in mind at the end of the day, even though we all bleed green because we love Xbox so much, they're still a corporation and they still don't care about you and they're still only out for your money and everything they do is about money. So don't act for like a single fucking second like they care about doing the right thing and being good people because even though I'm not trying to say Phil Spencer, the individual is necessarily a bad person, the corporation as an entity is pretty fucking god awful. So do not, you know, this is that creepy kind of like, oh, they're being transparent and real. I don't like this because it means it means they can get away with murder once they're that level of transparent and likable. But also the other thing they could do is just try to cover it up and never talk about it. And then I would hate them because they're not transparent and they don't own up to their shit. And either way they can't win. So guys, I guess what I'm really trying to say is give big business a break. They cannot catch a break. It's so unfair when you're a multi-billion dollar company, you just can't get a break. Everyone's either mad at you because you won't talk about the bad thing you did, or they're mad at you because you're talking about the bad thing you did in an effort to cover up, you know, how bad, you really are in the grand scheme of things and you just can't win so guys do yourself a favor write to your local congressman and say please while millions of americans struggle to pay the student loans and their rent during this this time of crisis and need can you please do me a favor take all of our tax dollars and, and give a big old tax break to the rich please tell microsoft that they can write off many millions of dollars in taxes right now because they are just so goddamn good. Please protect this big business. And that's all I really wanted to say, guys. Just a rambling mess right now. But no, I mean, it's, this is all joking aside. I kind of hate this because the the real there's so much diversion of like well xbox has done bad things before it's like true and good of you to acknowledge that and it's like i i would be a hypocrite to hold one company accountable for something as if my company hasn't also done things in the past true and thank you for being transparent and honest but that doesn't negate the fact that 
Activision won't do the right thing, which is fucking fire Bobby Kotick. Get that fucking man to sell off his shares of the company. Get him out of his seat. Obviously, he will be stupid fucking rich for the rest of forever. Not that he already isn't if he does that, but we need to get him out of this company. In Xbox, I'm sorry, but as one of Activision's biggest partners, you have a massive influence in that. So, yeah, is it kind of hypocritical? Sure, but this isn't really about the things Activision did in the past. This is more about the way Activision is poorly handling the situation now. Because can they take back the people who were abused, the victims that existed at Activision all those years ago when things happened, when the stupid World of Warcraft sweaty-ass nerdy orcs and night guys were too busy touching all the women and paying them less money? No, you can't take that back. Unfortunately, it happened. But what you can do is say, CEO, you're not getting away with this. There are repercussions. There are consequences. And so Xbox, yeah, you guys have done shitty things too, and you guys should be more forthcoming about that. And good on you for doing that, Phil Spencer. But you know what? It's not as simple as like, oh, well, everyone's made mistakes. Everybody's had those days. That's what Hannah Montana says anyway. It's like, no, no, no. Twist their fucking arms because Bobby Kotick should not be here. And Bobby Kotick said, literally, quote, this is one of our stories in recent months, was if I cannot fix the problem at Activision, I will step down as CEO, which is the most tone deaf fucking thing in the world because Bobby Kotick is the problem. So Phil Spencer, twist the goddamn arm. Do what the politicians don't do. Twist someone's fucking arm. Say, this is what I want to get done because this is what's right for the people. This is what's right for the company. Let me twist your goddamn arm and put some pressure on you. And can Xbox single-handedly do that to Activision? Absolutely not. Is it necessarily Xbox? Uh, 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 is it Xbox's fiduciary obligation to do that? Absolutely not. But is it the moralistically right thing to do? Yes. And if you do that, is there a potential that other companies might follow suit? Maybe even like a like a Square Enix or someone like that? Or we just saw Sega's apparently run by some good guys. Maybe they'd do it. I don't know. Just do the right thing, you stupid tiny wieners. All right. That's all of our news stories that I want to talk about at the top of the show. Guys, we haven't even gotten into the comments. And I'm already so heated. Can you believe it? So many of you probably clicked off already because you already made assumptions about me based on my uh, COVID comment. But listen, we talked about everything there is to talk about. We talked about COVID. We talked about NFTs. We talked about harassment in the workplace. What more do you want? Oh, you want to talk about a fucking Xbox? Okay, we'll get there. But first, guys, all joking aside, let's calm down. Take a seat. Let's talk about some comments. You know, you know how it works. Xbox on. It's a very community-driven show. The show would be literally nothing without you guys, the audience. So what we do at the top of every show is we read a handful of comments. We goof off. We have some fun. We talk about some topics from last week. We elaborate and expound on some Xbox stories, some late-breaking Xbox stories, because we all love Xbox. We love Halo. We love this platform. And we just want to share in the communal aspect that's brought us all together and given us something to put our hobby in and put our interest in and put our free time in and feel a sense of reward and accomplishment and community. And, and that's what Xbox On is all about. It's about taking that and amplifying it and building our own little ecosystem off of it where we can really enjoy and bask in all that glory. So what we do is every single week we go on over to youtube.com slash xbox on podcast you click on the latest episode and what you want to do is leave a comment in the comment section if you use the f word the fuck word usually that comment will get automatically deleted so maybe keep that in mind okay but you leave a comment you say something really nice like jesse thank you for rambling for the first 25 minutes of the podcast about seemingly nothing what the hell is even happening i thought this was supposed to be a news podcast you're even more off base than usual i love you or you can leave a mean comment say jesse we're 25 minutes into the podcast, and all you've done is rambled about things that make literally no sense. You're so off base today. I don't love you. You suck. Tiny wiener. And I'll say, both of those comments are getting right in the air, and I, and I, love, I, love, you. I love you for it. So our first comment this week 
comes from exactly who you think it comes from. And it's it's Mr. A.E.'s King, who has uh, some Taco Bell comments to bring up at the top of the show, but I want to run through it because there's something he's missing here. Yo, Jesse, did you know that I forgot to attend the stream last week because, but I also... Uh, if you blast Doom Eternal music, you're going to be a Halo god. Trust me. No, shut up. Caramel is good, by the way. Wolfenstein's an okay game. Have a nice week. By the way, my favorite Taco Bell menu item is now the triple double crunch wrap. But also, I cannot. I can also go for a Nacho Cheese Doritos Locos Taco Supreme or Nacho's Cheese Doritos Loco. What you literally said twice. Anyway, EA's King. Here's the thing: is you have the audacity to write in about your favorite Taco Bell items and to mention Taco Bell without even mentioning the fact that Taco Bell introduced chicken wings this week to the menu. And the second they did, you know, a couple of you guys pointed out to me, shout out to y'all, thank you. You know who you are, I love you. But Taco Bell introduced chicken wings. And you're just going to talk about Locos Tacos? Like, man, you're fucking, you're missing the conversation, A's King. Let's talk about these, these wings. Now, I'll be honest, spoiler for what I've been eating, I did not have these wings. At first, when they were announced, I was like, hell yeah, I'm trying those. And then the more and more I thought about it, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I feel comfortable. This might be the first time a fast food restaurant's been like, here's a disgusting abomination of a, of, a, of a food item. And I went, I don't know if I'm comfortable trying that. So did I go to Taco Bell this past week? Yes. Did I try these wings? No. But we will get into that more in the what I've been eating. So EA's King, thank you for bringing it up. Thank you for getting the ball rolling. And guys, I hope you are curious about where we're going with that. Moving on for the meantime, we got to follow up on this barbecue thing from last week. Because last week... You guys wrote in and you're like, oh, what kind of barbecue, sweet or spicy? Where do you fall in the barbecue spectrum? And I, I went on and on and on about how, you know, I'm a Southerner. I should I should be more into barbecue. I should know more about the barbecue sauces. I should have more of a palate for these things. But honestly, I'm kind of a layman. I'm kind of a basic bitch. I kind of go for the basic, sweet, whatever barbecue sauces. And then I threw it back to you, the audience, and asked you to write in. And many of you didn't. And I know who you are if you didn't. And you will face serious repercussions for that. But that's a different story for a different time. In the meantime, what I want to bring up is that Mavs Man, the only person who wrote in on the subject matter, brought up something that I'm kind of ashamed I didn't bring up last week, but we need to talk about. He says, sorry to burst everyone's bubble, but if you're doing some barbecuing and you're doing it right, honestly, you don't need sauce. And Mavs Man, see, as someone who adores steak, who has so much love for this, for, for the steak and has so much experience in the steak industry because I worked in so many restaurants. I wouldn't really call it the steak industry. I'd call it the restaurant industry, quite honestly. But as someone who has so much experience in that, and that was such a big part of my life for so long, unfortunately, because I was just fucking trapped in the restaurant rut for many, many years. I got to say, I have so many passionate feelings about steak where people fall on like, what temperature do you cook your steak? Do you use steak sauce? If so, what kind do you use? Those things drive me nuts because it's so simple. It's Medium rare is the temperature. If you want to go rare, that's up to you. But medium rare is the only temperature for a steak. And the answer for steak sauce is always no. If if it's like, oh, well, it's a bad steak, so you need steak sauce. You simply don't eat it. And, I, and I'm so passionate about that that I feel almost ashamed that I didn't even think to really apply that logic to barbecue. Because you're absolutely right, Mavs, man. And I have heard the same thing is that, that, that if you're eating good barbecue sauce or, or good barbecue, rather, you really don't need sauce. The rub should be enough. The seasoning should be enough. The way it's smoked, the way it's cooked should be enough. The quality and the flavor of the meat should stand by itself and be enough to be like, yo, I don't need sauce. So I've heard of this. I'm familiar with this and I failed to bring it up, but I got to be honest with you, Mazman, despite my staunch and, 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 and heavy feelings towards steak and how you should cook it and how you should eat it, I don't have a similar kind of uh, elitist take on barbecue. 
Uh, in fact, I'm kind of a basic bitch, like I said last week. And, and that's to say, I've enjoyed many a barbecue meal without barbecue sauce. In fact, usually when I do get barbecue, I usually have my sauce on the side, um, it, you know, if it's a barbecue item that has sauce on it. And I, I do like to play around and do the whole a bite with the sauce, a bite without the sauce. And generally, I just find it so much easier to eat it without the sauce. But even that said, I still always feel the need to order sauce and to fuck around with sauce and to use sauce with my food. So clearly, I'm eating bad barbecue. I'm eating my barbecue incorrectly, and I'm just a fucking heathen. Really, as man, it seems like. So thank you for schooling us a little bit and educating us and calling me out, calling us all out, really, Mavs man, because I, th- I think you're absolutely right. So Mavs man, at this point in time, what I'm going to ask you to do is you're going to fly down here to Orlando, Florida, and you're going to have to take me on a, on a barbecue culinary tour. But from what I've been told, apparently the barbecue in Florida is not that great. In my experience, I haven't really had stellar barbecue since I moved here, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, whatever we got to do, man, man, if we got to go out to Texas to, to, to get this this quest accomplished, but so be it. I've always wanted to go to Texas. So, Mavs man, thank you for, for elaborating, for educating us a little bit. And guys, for all of you who didn't write in about barbecue, and you know who you are, fuck you. Now, next up, my man, Mr. Miggy, wrote in and says... Jesse, that was a cool giraffe in this video. Oh, and forgot to add, thanks to T-Mobile Tuesday, I can experience Sam's Club, although it's a 20 to 25 minute drive. Mr. Miggy, I gotta be honest with you, the Sam's Club I go to is a 20 to 25 minute drive as well, although there's a different Sam's Club that I can I can hit up on my way home from work if I take like the slightly longer back roads to get home from work. So I do have that luxury of being able to hit it up after work, which I generally do once a week or so at minimum. So I do have that privilege. But yeah, if, if it's like a Saturday or Sunday and I'm with and I'm with my girlfriend and we want to hit up the club and go to the nicer Sam's Club, it's a 20, 25 minute drive for us as well. And and sometimes on the way back, the traffic's really fucking rough because I live in the dumbest area of Orlando or, or Florida rather. And so whatever. But the, the reason I bring this up is to say 20 to 25 minutes to get to a Sam's Club is a gift living in that kind of close proximity to a Sam's Club. Sam's Club is worth the drive. You know, your local Ralph's, your local Publix, your local Kroger's, whatever fucking shopping mart you're using, having that within like five minutes of your home, yeah, of course, because it's just a basic bitch food place that you need to have close by because you need to eat to live. You having a Walmart within 10, 15 minutes of where you live, a Target, yeah, because everyone needs a stupid place where they can buy shower curtains and microwave taquitos in the same place, of course, but Sam's Club is not that kind of establishment. Sam's Club is a Mecca. Sam's Club is a pilgrimage. Sam's Club is a rite of passage. And so to live within 20 minutes of a Sam's Club is the kind of thing you should be getting on your knees each and every day and looking up to the sky and thanking Sam Walter, Sam Walden, Sam Waldmart. What was his last name? Whatever. Thank the fucking Sam's Club guy because it is a goddamn blessing. Mr. Miggy. Don't ever let me catch you taking Sam's Club for granted again. I'm glad you are now a customer. Shout out to T-Mobile Tuesday. But I'm afraid you're too late because you should have been a member many years ago. What took you so long, Mr. Miggy? Now, I fully expect you to write in next week and tell me what kinds of first purchases you were making at the uh, at the uh, Sam's Club. Because, dude, we tried uh, pulled smoked pulled pork. Uh, this week from Sam's Club, we tried just pop it in the oven and fuck off mac and cheese from Sam's Club, and both of them were amazing, speaking of barbecue and Sam's Club at the same time. So, Mr. Miggy, let us know what you've been buying at the club. Now, congrats and game of the year is our next topic, where Compassionate Choice LLC writes in and says, Jesse, may you be blessed to hear that I just snagged an Xbox Series X bundle at my local GameStop while listening to your damn podcast. 
That's awesome. It came with 2K Far Cry and Vanguard, basically for one a 150L, a 150L, a 150 loss. I don't know. But hey, it beats giving into the scalpers. Also, good job on having your brother on the show. It's nice to hear another voice uh, for over two hours straight. Sweaty, smiley face, whatever emoji. Yeah, I'm, I, you're not wrong. I thought about it too. I know everyone has been missing my presence in the comments, and from what I'm, and for that I must apologize. But better late than never. Here are my top five games of 21 in order. Read them and weep. Halo Infinite, Sunset Overdrive, It Takes Two, Red Dead Redemption 2, and Rocket League. I assume I just read 1 to 5, not 5 to 1. But Compassion and Choice, that's a good list. It Takes Two above Red Dead Redemption 2. That's a hot take, even though I've never played It Takes Two, so I really can't speak to it. But man, you guys must you guys really love that game, so it must be very good. I really do need to get around to it. But Sunset Overdrive, I'm assuming this is the first time you played Sunset Overdrive. That's awesome. What a treat. I wish I could forget that game so I could replay it. That game is amazing. And uh, Rocket League, always a fun time. Hello Infinite, another win for you. Now, Compassion Choice, I do got to say, congrats on your Series X. I know that's a very big accomplishment in this world where it's impossible to buy a fucking box with some video gamer tech in it, so... Hopefully you enjoy the hell out of that. And also, 150, you get Far Cry and Vanguard and all that shit. 2K, I don't really know about 2K, but, you know, that's that's not bad. Those are some good games, so enjoy that. Now, Arctic Chief, our lord and savior, writes in a little bit about Fortnite, a little bit about Mountain Dew, a whole lot about you. Okay, YouTube, I've been leaving comments via Twitter lately, but I'll come back to YouTube so we can get... So we can all see what I'm saying. Well, so I found Mountain Dew Spark, the raspberry lemonade flavor. Honestly, it does not taste like Mountain Dew. I had my wife try it, and we came to the agreement that it's literally sparkling lemonade. I'm a big fan of Applebee's exclusive flavor, the Berry Blast. Yeah, and Fortnite was my number one game I played because the events, end of season slash new season, and crossovers. Infinite was pushed to the second spot because the whole battle passed the box. That's my A-team for some reason. Oh, that and my A-team for some reason hates this Halo. Playing alone isn't the same, and as you know, I always love the show. I listen every Thursday morning, and may I not? And I may not announce myself, but Monday nights, I'm there in the chat on Twitch. Arctic Chief, you are the man. I appreciate the support. Thank you so very much. You are one of my favorites by far. You know, they say parents don't love certain children more than others, but I'm not your daddy, so let's be honest. I do love some of you more than others. And Arctic Chief, you are in the upper echelon there, so rest easy knowing that this guy you've never met who doesn't really fucking matter in the grand scheme of things favors you over other YouTube commenters for no real reason other than you support my petty bullshit. Now, I didn't put this in the what I've been eating, but a couple of you have pointed this out. I'm aware Mountain Dew has released their Mountain Dew Spark, which is raspberry lemonade. For those who don't have Speedway convenience stores in your town, in your state, in your country, let me explain this to you. I think it was two years ago. Yeah, they released this flavor only in the personal 20-ounce bottles at Speedway gas stations. It was the only way you could find it. And let me say one thing. Let me get one thing perfectly clear, as, as my boy Gordon Ramsay would say. The art style on the bottle is fucking awesome. Like the aggressive taxi that's like going nuts for some reason. It's cool. But this flavor Mountain Dew sucks. You, I always talk about how you know Mountain Dew has lost their their pizzazz. They've lost their thing. It's all about these days. The oh man, now it tastes like this flavor of Fanta and this random fruity thing. It doesn't taste like Mountain Dew anymore. This is one of those like epitomized flavor. Ugh, this flavor. Ugh, I don't like it. 
So yeah, I tried it when it came out then. I didn't care for it, but now they're releasing it everywhere. So you can get it at grocery stores, you can get it in cans, you can get it in bottles, you can get it everywhere you are. It's not specific to a single location. So it's available to more people. So for a lot of people, this is a brand new flavor. And I get the excitement in that regard. But guys, and as Arctic Chief here is experiencing, it's not Mountain Dew. It's a cool bottle, it's a cool concept, but it's, it's not Mountain Dew. And I don't have anything against raspberry lemonade, but I don't want raspberry lemonade. I want a Mountain Dew flavor. And so I didn't even put this in the what I've been eating category because I skipped it. My girlfriend was like, oh, I found it at Walmart. Do you want me to pick some up? And I was like, thanks. No, thanks. I'm tired of being disappointed by PepsiCo and these new trashy Mountain Dew flavors. And I refuse to support them by just buying them out of obligation. I skipped my can collection for the stupid gingerbread flavor. I'm skipping this one for my can collection because you know what? Enough is enough. I'm putting my foot down. I'm respecting my wallet. I'm respecting my diet by not buying your bullshit half-ass fake Mountain Dew. Get it together, Pepsi. Now, you do mention you like the Applebee's flavor Berry Blast. I also do. It's very good. You know what? Berry Blast is basically just uh, pitch black, which is their old grape flavor they used to sell during Halloween time in the early, uh, early 2000s. So I think that's why it's so good. It's basically a rebrand of an old extinct flavor. But it is very good. And if you haven't been to Applebee's to try this flavor, it is the only reason to enter an Applebee's. Congratulations. The TGI Fridays fanboy is here to say, don't go to Applebee's for any reason other than this drink. Literally just get this drink to go and call it a day. Now, Headhunting Halo writes in next and says, Jesse, I hope GoldenEye comes back. They did the game back on the 360, which was trash. They need to do it right. I believe GoldenEye is the best movie as well. But we still haven't seen No Time to Die. Or you still haven't seen No Time to Die. Well, why are you tell me that, baby boy? Uh, Pierce Brosman is also the best James Bond. I need some good Oculus games. What are some of your favorites besides Bang Gang's VR porn? I also need some remedies to make my PP bigger. I got the girth but short on length. Your uh, My wife calls me BDD, which means Big Daddy Dick. But does she mean it? I don't know. Please help me, Dr. Jesse. I know it sounds like I made that comment up, but Headhunting Halo legitimately wrote that in, so take it out on him, not me, but Headhunting Halo, I've already recommended my favorite VR game so far uh, on the podcast. Are you not listening, Headhunting Halo? Kneel before me and tell me you are listening. Let me know you hear my words. Do not make me repeat myself, Headhunting Halo. But with that said, I will quickly reiterate. If you have an Oculus, which is what I have right now, the games I most recommend that I've played are... Pavlov VR or Pavlov Shack is what's called on Oculus. It's free to play. Download it. Gun Raiders, which is also free to play. Download it. Those are the best shooters on VR right now, in my opinion, that I've experienced. Uh, also, I love VR chat. I love chilling in that game. I love fucking around with people. It is so much fun. Um, those are my most played games by far. Yesterday, I played Beat Saber for the first time because I know it's like a, a must have in VR. I like it. I don't think I like it as much as other people do, but I definitely need to play more of it. I only played the demo, so I need to get more into it to really you know, figure out what's so special about this game. But it, it is fun, and it is worth a try. Now, that said, there are a bunch of other VR games I have that I haven't really spent time with. Job Simulator is very good. If you just want a showcase of how fun VR can be, I think Job Simulator is great. But Job Simulator is also kind of like a once you've played through everything once, you really don't need to go back to it kind of deal. So... Job Simulator is definitely a recommend for showcasing the potential of VR, but not necessarily for endless replayability. Uh, but those are the games I really recommend and push. I also bought Onward. I kind of regret it. It's a little too skilled and tactical for me. Um, people really recommend the new Res uh, Resident Evil 4 remake, which I want to get around to. The Walking Dead game in VR is apparently really good. I haven't gotten around to any of those, so not, not too much VR experience on my end outside the games I've already mentioned, but Headhunting Halo, 
You've been warned. Now, getting out of the of the hot seat, way of the Lao writes in to follow up on a, on a transgression from last week and says, Word, Jesse, I hope you and your family are doing well. Cronky, you the man. Best wishes and blessings to everyone who listens to the podcast and their families as well. That's very sweet of you, way of the Lao. I do apologize for the, in, for the inability to fulfill the podcast requirements last week. Please adopt those orphans and save those whales. Monster Hunter World Iceborne was my favorite, was my last pick for game of the year 2021. I know everyone's like, what the fuck? But honestly, Iceborne was such a massive expansion and it's like a whole nother game. It is massive. It's some, if someone wants to debate that point with me, I'm ready. Except Kronky, he scares me with his ironclad logic. Yeah, Kronky is a, is a, he's, he's got, he's got some sound logic. So, wait, loud. I, no one's going to fight you on your pick. It's a, it's a solid pick. I'm glad you love that game. I'm just more glad that you fulfilled the obligation of listing all five games because if you didn't, we would have to castrate you live on air. Now, let's wrap up with a, like two quick comments. Cranky Old Man in Training says, Sorry I haven't commented in a while. The holidays have been wild. Do not apologize, sir. You come in when you please, and I appreciate you when you're here. I did not know Cronky was Josiah. This is the big. This is bigger than Kane when Kane took off his mask. So which one is older? I'm trying to guess based on your voices, but I'm stumped. I'm Patrick stumped right now. Okay, cranky old man in training. I am the older one. He is the taller one. That's all there is to it. He has more height. I have more girth in years, so I am slightly older. But we are both very stupid and tiny brained. EA's King says also I prefer honey to maple syrup. And also, did you know that maple tree sap is basically just tree sweat? Gross. EA's King. And finally, speaking of Cronky, my brother writes in and says, I cannot believe I managed to sneak on that episode the other week while still liking ketchup. Fucking erasing that episode from history now. Thank you very much. And that's going to do it for all of our comments, you guys. Remember for next week, don't be shy. Reply. Please do subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Twitch. But wait, why are you talking like it's the end of the show, you fucking idiot? We got a whole, we got a whole news segment to get to. Okay, we'll jump into that. Don't worry. But first... I gotta tell you what I've been playing. But first, I gotta tell you what I've been eating. All right, what have I been eating before I can tell you about what I've been playing? Well, we talked about Taco Bell wings, and I did not get them. Yeah, that's right. Taco Bell has many new items right now, but uh, I did not try those wings. And actually, tonight that I'm recording this is the last night they're available, and I uh, don't regret not trying them. People say they're terrible. I've seen pictures of them undercooked and all that. That's not what's really deterring me from trying it. I just kind of... I kind of don't care. I thought I would be curious enough to be like, I got to do this, but maybe I'm just growing up and I'm feeling less of the FOMO these days, but like new Mountain Dew, Dew flavor that sucks. I'll pass chicken wings at Taco Bell. Wrong choice. I'll pass. So here we are. I'm just kind of living my life, doing my thing, not really giving into the fad unless it really does speak to me on a spiritual level. I guess that's what it means to be an individual badass. But I did go to Taco Bell this past weekend and try those new $2 griller burritos. They have the beefy, cheesy, spicy one. This is kind of just a play on something we've seen a million times before at Taco Bell. It's the spicy, beefy griller they used to have, but it's slightly bigger now, basically. It's really the only difference. This thing is still amazing, and $2 is you know, a little pricey for what it is, but it is bigger than it used to be, so I'll take it. I love this thing. I'm glad it's back on the menu in some form or fashion. I will be eating this many, many more times. If you like the old beefy, uh, spicy grilled griller or whatever it used to be called back in the day... This is basically the the successor to that, and it is welcome. Now, there's also a vegetarian new $2 griller burrito. I did not get that one because I am not vegetarian at this point in time, but I did get the other one, which is like the Baja Santa Fe chicken, whatever. I'm making up the name right now, but instead of having like rice and shit, it has just greens, so it's like lettuce and chicken and a lime crema ranch sauce and 
all this stuff. It basically tastes like the rice bowls you can get from Taco Bell if you order on the app, but wrapped up in a grilled tortilla instead, and it's pretty damn good. Now, this isn't one I would get every time. I enjoy it quite a bit. For $2, it's decent. It's a little overpriced, but it's decent, but... I, I think it's very good. It's definitely worth a try. And I might get it one or two more times before it leaves the menu, assuming it's like most Taco Bell items and it's gone before I can finish this very sentence I'm on. But yeah, I mean, that that spicy, beefy one is definitely where it's at, guys. So definitely be sure to give that one a try. Fuck the wings. Fuck the noise. Fuck the vegetarian items. Get that shit. Now, I got two other things food-related I want to touch on real quick. You guys may recall I am on this quest to try all the fast food pizza at all the theme parks in the world. Right now I've been working on Universal Orlando pizza. I had the one at the Cabana Bay um, the Cabana Bay Hotel a few months back and I raved and raved about it, guys. And then I fell off and really haven't gotten around. I have a, I have a really hard time with Universal. It's like I have access to the park, but I can never get out there. It's like close enough that's convenient, but far away enough that's annoying. At the same time, it makes no sense, but I'm trying to get better about going to Universal more. So this weekend, I forced myself to head out there, and I'm really glad I did because even though they didn't have the crepe I, w- I came there for, I did take this as an opportunity to explore the park and try some new pizza. So in the Islands of Adventure theme park and the Jurassic Park portion of this stupid theme park where people go in exchange for money to be thrilled and shook around in metal machines, I went to the Pizza Predatoria and said, one pepperoni pizza, please. I did not realize what I was about to embark in because as an avid Disney pizza fan, I know most places you go to Disney World, whether it's one of the hotels or one of the pizza places in the theme parks, it's usually pretty much the same pizza with a rare exception that they use. What I'm learning about Universal is pretty much every pizza place on property, whether it's at a hotel or in one of the parks or the other park, they all serve different pizza, which is exciting because as much as I love the one at Cabana Bay, a hotel a few months back, now there's an opportunity to find another new pizza I love. And let me tell you what, the Predatoria pizza, damn good. The sign shows a couple little dinosaurs fighting over a slice of pizza and they have good reason to be fighting over this pizza. It's quite good. This is like a, cr- a cross between like a Costco pizza and a Chuck E. Cheese pizza with a hint of Sam's Club pizza and Golden Crow pizza. It is as if these four pizzas got together and said, we are now going to be acquired by Microsoft and conjoined into one ultimate pizza. And it's very, very good. It's a personal sized pizza. The pepperoni is greasy and oily. The pizza is cheesy, but also saucy. The dough is kind of dense and thick, but not too thick. It's not that DiGiorno bullshit. Don't get me wrong. This shit is good shit. And I got to say, Universal, as someone who has so much nostalgia and undenying love for Disney pizza for very personal reasons, like I said, very nostalgic reasons, my love for Disney pizza could never be matched, even if I find a pizza that is objectively better than I have. But Universal, I think you make quote-unquote better pizza or at least generally more favorable pizza. I think in a blind taste test, more people would go with these various universal pizzas I've had. So my proposition to you is if you go on a vacation to the Universal Orlando Resort here in Florida, you must, must, must try these pizzas. These pizzas are dank. These pizzas are popping. Everywhere I go, I'm having good pizza in this place. And now I must go back to the Universal and try pizza in another location and another location because they're all different pizzas. And so far, we're on a really clean, perfect track record. So shout out to you, Universal. Your pizza game is very strong, stronger than me, someone who hasn't worked out since uh, Ronald Reagan was alive. Now, let me round out the what I've been eating by just saying shout out to the Red Velvet Muffins at Sam's Club. They are way better than they have any right to be. They're not overly sweet like you think they would be, and they are fucking amazing. They're Red Velvet Muffins. They are moist as hell, and they sneak some chocolate chips in there. 
All I got to say is, if this is the thing that's going to kill me, that's going to give me diabetes and heart disease and put me over the top, pretty beautiful item to go out on. Now, that's it for what I've been eating. But, guys, more importantly, maybe not, what have I been playing? This is where I let you down this week because, guys, I've uh, it's been a weird week at work. I've been very busy with my day job. And on top of that, I've been busy trying to get maintain a schedule of getting YouTube videos out. That's all excuse talk for why I haven't really been playing a lot of games. But same thing as last week. I'm, I'm grinding through Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm pretty far into it. I'm probably in the last two or three hours of the game now. So I plan on finishing that up this weekend. But other than that, I've just been playing zombies. Zombies on Vanguard, zombies on Black Ops 3 mods, on, on Twitch streams, on Monday nights, things like that. Zombies when I can, it's fun, it's a great way to unwind and just turn your brain off. And then Guardians of the Galaxy when I want something a little more engaged and involved. And uh, I have nothing more to say because I've been talking about these two games so much recently that it's like, yeah, I'm still playing these games, nothing new. But when I do finish Guardians of the Galaxy, I am pretty excited to jump into a new game. I'm, I'm also a little like overwhelmed with choice there is the um anacrusis is that what it's called the new game that comes out actually the day this podcast goes live which we'll talk about in the news in a little bit um that comes out that new left for dead type game i'm excited to give that a try kind of want to jump into the next yakuza game that, that i haven't gotten to yet so i'm pretty excited for what's next but until then kind of in a little bit of a lull with the what i've been playing so guys nothing too exciting but we will come back to it because this is an Xbox podcast and we do talk about video games. So let's take a quick break and then jump into the news. You guys, thank you so much for being with me on the second episode of 2022. You're doing great. We're going to get through this together. See you, uh, uh, see you in the news segment. All right, we're back from the break. Sorry, I just had to go be a total dick to Cronky for no reason. Uh, anyway, guys, we have news. There's a whole news story list of news to get through. So let's just grind right into it. First one here comes from Windows Central, and it says, Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl has been delayed to December 8th, 2022. Basically a full fucking seven months or so. I mean, it's like a whole year from now. Whoa. GSC Game World confirmed the news via Twitter this past week, saying Stalker 2 was previously slated. Oh, also Stalker 2, as you may remember, was slated for an April 28th release, meaning it's been it's been delayed over half a year. The quote for the delay, the reasoning was that these additions, additional seven months of development are needed to fulfill our vision of the game to achieve, achieve a desired state of the game. The update explains the developers have added that the game is undergoing thorough testing and polishing and that more of the game will be shown at a later date this year. So players can expect additional updates before it launches. So it's almost hard to talk about this because it's like big. It's like, whoa, that's a big that's big news for Xbox because this is one of the biggest games coming to Xbox this year. Right. But the fact that it's being delayed, not surprising. The reason for why it's being delayed, not even remotely surprising. The same reasoning we're given every time, which is, you know, not a bad thing. It's like, why else would you delay a game? It's not like they're going to be like, we're delaying the game because we like to see you suffer. So the longer you wait, the happier our wieners get. It's like, yeah, of course they're delaying it because they need more time. So is it good to see a delay in this case? Yeah. Is it disappointing that it's delayed? Yeah. Is it okay because there's a shit ton of other games and Game Pass has plenty occupied between now and December 8th? Yeah. The only thing I can think of uh, about re regarding this situation that I'm like, oof, maybe that's not so good is that December 8th is probably going to be weeks after the time Starfield launches because remember Starfield's supposed to launch 11-11-22. So that is less than a month later. You know, assuming Starfield doesn't get delayed, oof, 
I mean, not that these games are necessarily in the same market or anything, but these are two of Xbox's biggest games for 2022, and you have them releasing within weeks of each other. Now, that might sound... For those for those of you who are old enough to remember 2021, you might recall Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite had a similar trajectory. In fact, Halo Infinite kind of even snubbed Forza Horizon 5 by launching the multiplayer like two weeks later, but <laughs> that's not great if you want a well-rounded year of releases. Now, it's not to say they don't have a bunch of other really good games on the way. Of course, you know we're getting like uh redfall and all these other games so you know 2022 will be fine but these are i think probably the biggest two games coming to xbox this year or at least that we know of right now so this isn't super exciting and a little disheartening but for the sake of having a better quality in a worthwhile stock or two experience yeah this is great news of course but what else could you really add to that story all right next up vgc Relays that the Xbox Series X slash S systems continue to sell faster than previous generations of Microsoft's consoles, as claimed by Microsoft. Having launched in November 2020, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said in July 2021 that the Xbox Series X and S were the company's fastest selling consoles ever. He also said that Microsoft has definitely diddled some people in their company definitely had some unfair wages and that Activision should not be looked at as bad guys because no I'm kidding but anyway in a New York Times interview later on published this past Monday Microsoft's gaming boss Phil Spencer said that that was still the case that the consoles were selling faster than any previous generation he claimed persistent Xbox shortages were not actually the result of less consoles being produced than that was uh, sorry than was the case in previous generations instead scarcity has been caused by a surge in demand since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic saying quote back in what would have been March April of 2020 we sold out of consoles which we never do in April and May because you had this sudden swell of usage our networks were tapped with people and people were coming on and the team worked hard to fulfill that demand and in some ways we're still trying to do this when you think about trying to go get an xbox or playstation right now in the market they're really hard to find spencer continued and it's not because simply supply is smaller than it's ever been supply is actually as big as it's ever been it's because demand is exceeding supply for all of us at this point, we've sold more of this generation of Xboxes, which is Xbox Series X and S, than we had previous versions of Xboxes. So it's our job to get the supply there to meet the demand. Based on Spencer's comments, Nico Partners estimates that the Series X and S have now shipped over 12 million sh units, according to senior analyst Daniel Ahmad. So this is really conflicting information, and this is actually kind of hard for me to interpret, because usually my favorite stories are these stories where we talk about numbers and sales and things like that, because I find this shit really fascinating. But this is actually the first time I'm kind of perplexed a little bit, because I'm almost wondering if Phil Spencer's trying to twist a different story to make it seem like Xbox is doing better than it is, because... Reports for the past year or so have suggested that the PS5 is steadily outselling the Xbox Series X and S, possibly in a 2 to 1 or 3 to 1 ratio even. But this suggests, if these sales are to be believed, that Xbox is actually selling almost as well as PlayStation uh, 5, which I personally find hard to believe. Now, I, I wouldn't find it... I, I did find it quite hard to believe that Xbox is being outsold 3 to 1 by PS5. Like, I'm like, oh, that sounds a little harsh considering how, like, on top Xbox is getting. I expected PS5 to definitely outsell the new consoles, but maybe more like in a 2 to 1 or like a 1.5 to 1 kind of way, not in a 3 to 1 way. So the idea that Microsoft is actually pretty competitive with PlayStation does sound a little more right to me, and, you know, at least anecdotally from what we have been hearing and seeing, but... I don't know, to think that the two are almost neck and neck, I don't think that necessarily makes sense either. So 
This is a confusing kind of thing, and, and notably, it says 12 million shipped, not sold through. And like I like I've said in the past, and like we've all noted, Xbox Series S is pretty damn easy to find these days. It's it's not hard to get on BestBuy.com or walk into a Target and see an Xbox Series S or or three on the shelf. So. That's not, you know, that, that number includes shipped units, not necessarily sold through. So if we are to believe there are just millions of Xbox Series S's available for purchase around the globe, then maybe we're at that number. But for the most part, these units are getting sold through. Even the Series S, which is more or less available, it's pretty much selling. And it's not like they're just rotting on shelves. I mean, stores are selling through these units. So it's hard to kind of interpret that information for that sake alone, uh, especially without more concrete data about sold through numbers and how PlayStation's doing. It's really hard, especially because we don't really have concrete numbers on either front. And usually Sony's the one who's more transparent about that stuff. Anyhow, the other thing I want to get into here is that Phil Spencer's saying, you know, talking about how at the start of COVID, you know, Xbox One and One X were selling out like crazy because people were getting laid off or furloughed or working from home. And now everyone had to lock down at home and not be out and about. And there's all this like, well, what are we going to do? Let's go buy an Xbox and play Halo. And so gaming just shot up like crazy, which we knew. We knew that was the case. This has been a story for a long time. But he's talking about how like the demand right now they're facing is kind of still from that and not even necessarily from the new consoles. I'm inclined to disappear disagree with phil spencer on this because i definitely think you know if series x and s and ps5 had not come out in 2020 if these were consoles that were still on the horizon i cannot imagine xbox one and ps4 would still be selling the way they were at the start of COVID, or even close to that number really because so many people have gone back to work we've all settled into this quote-unquote new normal thing and so many people have gotten the courage to leave the house nowadays that i don't really believe that we would be facing that same kind of if anything what we've seen is gaming kind of dip a little bit if i'm not mistaken from from reports and and, and numbers showing that you know people own video game consoles and, and video games are still doing way better in terms of online activity and digital purchases and console sales you know today compared to where they were four or five years ago but you know compared to the start of covid when everything was like buy every fucking nintendo switch in existence you know compared to that time things have been tapering off a little bit which is to be expected because now people can like go to bars again and and, and go get their haircuts again and go uh, drive around the roads and make traffic bad for jesse again so i cannot imagine that ga- that demand is just like oh yeah we're still where we were at the beginning of the pandemic when people were kind of like stuck at home I, I can't imagine that's even remotely the case so I, I feel like the demand is absolutely a response to new console hardware now did covid have an indelible impact that probably boosted gaming uh in a way that left a somewhat permanent effect absolutely but again, 100% of the people you captured the attention of in March of 2020 are not exactly who you have in your audience and in your hold and in your grasp right this moment with Xbox Series X. Because a lot of those people are probably like, yeah, I bought an Xbox or a Switch or whatever during the lockdown and it was fun. I had fun and I'm kind of getting back into gaming and I played from time to time. But that didn't necessarily turn all those people into like diehard Xbox fans who now need to buy a Switch Pro and an Xbox Series S and an Xbox Series X for the bedroom and a PS4 for the for the garage because that's where you keep that fucking thing. That stupid fucking... No, but you know, it's like I, I have a hard time feeling like these numbers and these and these ways of presenting this data is entirely honest and accurate because that just doesn't make sense i mean you guys exist do you guys leave your houses do you notice that people are not at home as much as they once were people are not gaming as much as they once were this is not 
you know, there's a lot of demand and a lot of interest about these new boxes. And I would not be surprised to learn that in 2021, people were more excited in, on the hunt for an Xbox or PlayStation than they were in 2014 when Xbox One and PS4 were new. That wouldn't surprise me to learn that that's true. But to learn that, like, the demand from the beginning of the pandemic is still the same demand we're seeing today, it's like, eh, I don't... I think you had a nice coincidence where the pandemic work-from-home kind of thing bled into the new console release thing in the fall of 2020 and those two things together have just put console gaming at an all-time high that kind of cannot be beaten that's more or less where i feel like this is falling but again i don't have concrete numbers like someone like phil spencer would have so maybe we just gotta take his word for it here but that yeah i mean just i gotta gotta say that because i feel like there's something a little off with that information we've been given. But that being said, either way, obviously Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S, incredibly big success, obviously doing way better than Xbox One did out the gate, and that's really exciting news altogether. I oh, I just want to get to a point where we can get specific numbers. I know Xbox has been really quiet about numbers, especially ever since like 2014, 15, and they always give us like really dumb statistics like Xbox Series X was the most popular console for people who want to watch Xbox on a very slim uh, hardware piece of hardware developed by Microsoft that kind of looks like a boombox speaker. It's like, yeah, okay, that's a dumb statistic. Whereas PlayStation's just like, yeah, PlayStation 5 sold X amount of million units. It's like, okay, cool, numbers. I can work with that. So it would be nice if we could get to a point, especially now that Xbox is doing better than they were, to where Xbox and Microsoft can start talking about legitimate fucking numbers and we don't have to extrapolate and do some head math and take notes from what, you know, EA and Activision say and investors calls to kind of guesstimate what Xbox is sold through. Um, but I, I think we're still having to do these kinds of mental gymnastics because Xbox doesn't really want to talk about this stuff. They really don't want to say the real number because the real number probably shows Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S, although selling incredibly well, although doing incredibly well, uh, are being probably trampled by PlayStation numbers. Again, I know we all talk about, especially you little Xbox fanboys in the audience out there, well, console sales don't matter anymore. It's not a game about console sales. It's about services. It's about Game Pass. Okay, calm down. Don't bite my fucking head off. I know. I get it. I believe you. I also... I have said on the same fucking podcast before, yes, Xbox is playing the services game, not the console hardware game. Okay, you can't fucking tell me that means people at Microsoft are walking around going, well, I sure hope Xbox isn't the best-selling console in the market because we're a services company, not a hardware company. We don't even want to have the best-selling hardware on the market. Of course they're not fucking saying that. They're not dumbass, tiny baby peon moron babies. They, these guys are like, oh my God, we're making money off selling our hardware. I want to make more money selling my hardware and I want to be the top dog when it comes to services because I don't know if you guys know this, but big corporations like Microsoft kind of want to make money. So... We can talk about how hardware sales don't matter because Microsoft isn't playing the hardware game. PlayStation's playing the hardware game. Nintendo's playing the hardware game. Xbox is playing the services game. That's why they're so focused on Game Pass. And yeah, that is true. But at the same time, what's also true is Xbox does care about hardware sales. Otherwise, they wouldn't be fucking selling a console. Otherwise, they wouldn't be hiding their goddamn numbers and having to do these little quotes where they're like, Xbox is doing so good because a lot of people died in March of 2020 and that made our sales go boom, boom high. And now our sales are still really high because people are not getting vaccinated or boosted. And it's like, no, they wouldn't be saying stupid shit like that if Xbox was outselling PS5. They would be saying Xbox is dumb and everyone in Japan who makes a PlayStation, or <laughs> they would be saying PlayStation is dumb and everyone in Japan who made PlayStation has a very, very tiny brain. And everyone in America that made Xbox has a very big brain. In fact, 
we are going to have to make bigger heads for humans in the near future because these humans in America are so smart to buy Xbox at a disproportionate rate that we need to give them bigger heads to accommodate their sexy brains. And the fact that they're not saying that tells you simply, yes, we care about hardware sales and we're being outsold by Sony. But it also tells us they're doing very damn well. I, I mean, fuck, I would not hate to be the one who's uh, financially benefiting from Xbox's success right now. But a little bit of context, because I, I, I am tired at this point, especially with how well Microsoft has turned the ship around. With all the hard work Phil Spencer and his team have put in to making Xbox a respectable and successful brand again, I'm so tired of the shyness behind talking about your fucking numbers because even if you're going to be second place to sony you know you are going to be significantly more successful than almost any company or human being on the goddamn earth so just take ownership in that and take some pride in it and fucking talk about your numbers and stop hiding behind them and xbots you little fanboys i know there's a couple of you listening to this podcast for some reason you guys don't have to defend microsoft okay microsoft's really not that cool I say while I speak into my Windows 11 PC on my fucking Microsoft Surface Pro with my Surface Duo in my hands and my Xbox One on my side and my Xbox Series X behind me. With all of that said, with my fucking Xbox Series X refrigerator under my computer desk, I am telling you, you don't need to defend Microsoft. You don't need to defend Xbox. They're a fucking corporation. They don't give a shit about you. So you don't need to be their goddamn white knight. It's fucking cringy. Stop being weird. You look weird right now. Stop shitting on Sony. PlayStation's a phenomenal console, but you know what? Sony also doesn't give a shit about their fans. So Sony fans, stop fucking falling on the sword for Sony. You look weird. You look very weird. Go get a cheeseburger at McDonald's and, 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 and feast on something substantial. Go get a haircut because it's shaggy and you look terrible. You guys are weird. Go out and look at some fucking sunlight and uh, stay away from schools because you guys are kind of creepy. All right, next up, Windows Central has a whole story we got to talk about, despite the additions of... You know what's weird about this week is, like, I'm unusually tired, but I have an absurd amount of energy. This is that, like, second wind energy, and I really got to capitalize on it while I can. Our next story here is that, from Windows Central, despite the addition of State of Decay 2 uh, in all of its DLC since its post-launch, or since its launch, rather, the Xbox exclusive has had some underlying issues that have held the game back. The notorious player-hosted co-op has an irritating tether mechanic that prevents players from exploring the game's larger maps more freely. State of Decay has always been a community-first design game, with fans in the Undead Labs forum right from the company's founding by World of Warcraft veterans Jeff Strain. Indeed, State of Decay has indeed has intended to be an MMO eventually, with seamless dedicated servers for more realistic co-op experience with in intersecting data-driven endemic zombie systems for the ultimate zombie apocalypse sim. Despite the addition, state, despite these additions, State of Decay 2 has experienced since its launch, though, Xbox exclusives have some underlying issues that hold the game back. The notorious player-hosted co-op is an irritating... Oh, oh, chop all that off. I'm just repeating myself. A couple of years ago, Microsoft and Undead Labs announced State of Decay 3. With an impressive CGI trailer that appealed, blah, 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 blah. Indeed, State of Decay 2 has also had a bit of a limited selection of enemies to face off against. Why am I even, why did I copy and paste it? I should have read through this better. Sorry guys. Indeed, State of Decay 2 also has a bit of a limited selection of enemies to face off against, with many of the zombie stereotypes or archetypes returning in State of Decay 1. With a CGI trailer hinting at an expanded scope and bump in quality, you might wonder how Undead Labs is a small studio. It's comparatively, uh, will be able to pull all that off. But thankfully, seems that the studio is expanding quite rapidly. In a series of relatively high profile hires, Undead Labs has picked up various AAA vets from across the industry. Jonathan 
Wolverton was spotted making his way over from EA Orlando, that's Tiburon, that's Madden, as design director, alongside fellow EA alumni Suman Mirza. Sorry if I butchered your sorry if I butchered your name. Other hires include Simon Shear, and who worked on the mind-blowing Unreal Engine 5 Matrix demo, Volition veteran Adam Pletcher, uh, among many others. Shares LinkedIn profile refers specifically to Undead Labs building up a new team in Orlando itself, separate from the main team based in Seattle near Microsoft headquarters. Okay, guys, let me stop right there. I live in Central Florida. I, I live in Orlando, whatever, more or less. Uh, the, uh, Undead Labs has a new studio in Orlando. Uh Okay, I'm an ex-bot. I need to go get a job. Hold on, let me apply for a job. But no, no, all joking aside. While there's a little information about State of K3 and how it looks right now, Windows Central have heard from their sources that the team is placing a bigger emphasis on making its playable characters feel more human with more in Invest, more investment in dialogue, background writing, and dynamic story events, and hopefully just an overall more polish. But guys, this is cool. Undead Labs is seemingly opening a second kind of satellite studio here, and that's fucking crazy. Uh, right here in good old sunny Orlando, Florida. And I think the big thing here is that what surprises me with this is it's not just that they're obviously gearing up to make State of Decay 3 less buggy and less like endearing, cute, and kind of budgety like the first two have been, but obviously they want to make it a full-fledged, polished, AAA, kind of full envisioning of what they always wanted this game to be. That's fine. That makes sense. None of that surprises me. The thing here is when we think about Game Pass and how it's this service we're always talking about how it can do a little bit of everything because you're subscribing to the service so we can have everything from big AAA games like Halo to small little bite-sized games like Cyber Shadow and all that because, you know, there's there's room for a little of everything when it's a a la carte or where it's a, a all-you-can-eat buffet of gaming, right? So it does almost perplex me a little bit that Microsoft is willing to invest in these studios to this extent. Where you look at like Undead Labs, who makes State of Case, which is obviously a smaller, more like mid-tier kind of game. And for them to be like, yeah, you guys can take all the time and all the money and staff up and make an even bigger budget, more AAA experience for State of K. And the reason why that's so crazy to me is like, that's a big financial investment. When State of Decay is a game that already has a pretty good pull and State of Decay 3 really didn't need to do much more other than being a slightly more polished, more content version of State of Decay 2. But here they are really expanding and developing this thing further to make a more AAA experience. And I think that's admirable and exciting and cool, but also like curious that they're willing to put this much money into obviously not only like 343 and Coalition and whatnot, but even into teams like Undead Labs. So I guess that shouldn't be too surprising because we see how it worked out for teams like, you know, like uh, Double Fine with Psychonauts 2 and everything. But Xbox is pouring and pouring money into their studios, into Game Pass. If they're going to go the extra mile to make sure, you know, State of K3 can take the extra few years, can staff up and get a second team and do what they need to do to make uh, uh, State of K3 more of an MMO, more of a polished AAA game, more of a this or that. And that's that's crazy because it almost makes you wonder if they're really willing to take this approach to so many of their games and you gotta assume this is probably what they're doing even with like uh we happy few developer compulsion games as well in, in these kinds of teams is we're really not getting any like budget or or like small one-off kind of xbox games we're getting like pretty much all around triple a big budget games and but yeah i mean this is obviously because the, the other thing that comes in with this is, okay, so State of K3 is going to be a bigger budget, more fully realized, more polished, more AAA experience. That's awesome. That's all great news. No one would complain about that. But also, does this open up Undead Labs to finally be, for some reason, this is a team I've always especially held to this standard where, like, I kind of want to see them do any something outside of State of K. So if State of K3 can be this, 
MMO, games as a service type platform game. You know, if we can have this be the Destiny 2, the Halo Infinite of, the, you know, the Forza, whatever the next motorsport is from turn 10, if we can have this be that equivalency for State of K 3, does that mean this can then be kind of a games as a service and stand on its own for 10 years and not have to need a State of K 4, State of K 5, and it can just kind of be supported with post-launch content like a Grand Theft Auto 5 online or whatever? Because I assume that's what they're working towards, but at the same time, if they're building a second studio in order to do that, that's going to leave them pretty staffed up and then not need that amount of staff to support and sustain this game, which leads me to believe that at some point, you know, they're going to build a very big AAA State of Decay type game and then need only a portion of that staff to keep the content going. And then they're going to have this other part of a team that could maybe work on a new project and give us something other than State of Decay from Undead Labs. I don't know. That might be a lot of connecting dots that aren't there, but I would really love to see that be the case because I kind of want to see something else from this developer. I really want to see what else these guys have up their sleeves. I know they're really founded over the, the State of Decay IP, and that's awesome. I love that they do this, and I love that people like it, and this is an IP I've always really wanted to enjoy, but just really has never clicked with me. But I, I don't know. I, I want to see these teams do more, and that's the thing with Xbox in general. Is, you know, It's easy for me to be like, well, 343, they can just do Halo and nothing else because I love Halo so much. But teams like this, it's like, okay, well, I'm not so in love with State of Decay, so... Can we see Undead Labs do something different? I, I think the answer is yes, especially as more and more of these Xbox teams make these kinds of service-based games for Game Pass, but have these big teams and this big budget behind them. They might have the ability to do separate projects, and that's when you can get your small side game or your little secondary game or your grounded, you know, like as uh, Obsidian has shown us. And I'd just like to see more of that kind of content, so... Hopefully this is the start of that. Congrats to all the new hires and to Undead Labs for growing and becoming a bigger family. So that's awesome. Next up, speaking of Sega, we ain't done with them yet. Sega have announced that it has opened a second development-based studio in Japan called Sega Sapporo. So obviously in the northern area of Sapporo. Although Sega currently has a number of in-house development studios in Japan, including Sonic Team, where you got Godoku Studio, who work on, of course, our beloved Yakuza games. They all work out of the company's main base in Tokyo. So this studio will be in the high... Hokkaido Prefecture further north, uh, which is new for Sega, which is pretty exciting. According to the new company website, the studio will take on a number of roles, including development, design, debugging, sales, import and export of game hardware and software, and planning, production, and sales of character products. This is weird because this sounds like uh, it sounds like a lot of like what Sega already does. So I wonder if they're offloading certain obligations onto this team so that their Tokyo studios can focus more on pure game development. It's weird to think. Uh, but the job listings on the site also suggest that the Sapporo studio will be involved in the cre in the creating new characters and environments for Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis. Sega Sapo Sapporo, it's pronounced Sapporo. <laughs> Sega Sapporo will be led by Takaya Segawa, who joined Sega as a designer in 92 and was the chief producer of Fantasy Star Online 2. In a statement, Segawa explained that the new studio would make use of Sega's existing knowledge base to create new titles, saying, quote, under the new policy and continuation uh, to take on the new challenge of creating even more innovative content and providing the world with new and exciting experiences, we will use the known how that the know-how that Sega has accumulated over its long history to participate in the development of entertaining entertainment that we will present to the world in the form of attractive in the attractive city of Sapporo. He said, "Sega Sapporo Studio will strive to provide the motivate the moving." experience 
to customers and create studios that values its staff. Holy hell, that is a very translated Japanese statement. So God damn, does that make no sense to most people? Sega uh, stated in November that it would consider investing in nearly $1 billion into game development capabilities over the next few years. Now, take that information and pair it with their commitment for a new, quote, super game initiative that we learned about last year, a mid to long-term strategy aimed at creating major global titles, focusing on the pillars of global online community and IP utilization. Sega has used one of its largest studio networks of any Japanese company since its acquisition of UK-based uh, Creative Assembly, known for total in 2005 it's gone on to acquire sports interactive football manager relic age of empires atlas for the persona franchise and amplitude from humankind and two point who make two point hospital while sega prepares its super game it will also release a number of new projects over the course of the next five years including new fps tiles a european studio like creative assembly and utilization of IP assets in remakes, reboots, and remasters. Holy shit, that's a lot, Sega. So long story short, Sega is expanding rapidly. We are seeing them evolve quite a bit. And this is the kind of thing that makes me feel like Sega is not even remotely being considered by Microsoft for acquisition because they are moving and shaking in such a way that I don't know that Sega wants to get involved with all the, or that Microsoft would want to get involved with all the projects that Sega is undertaking because it's kind of, in a lot of ways, outside the wheelhouse of what Xbox is kind of about right now. And it just, it just, it, it adds to the portfolio in such a massive, a massive way that just a little fucking monopolization of the games industry. It's not fun. Stop saying it's cool. It's not cool. So, one thing we've seen happen a lot in the games industry, particularly from Japanese studios in recent years, uh, or Japanese publishers, Square Enix in particular, Konami's even thinking about licensing out their IP and things like that, is this whole Japan embracing the Western developer, which is quite interesting because, of course, historically Japan was like the mecca for game development. And we have we have found ourselves in a situation now where I think you're seeing a lot of Japan acknowledge that the Western developers have kind of taken the mantle. You know, your Sony and Xbox first party studios, your God of Wars, your Horizon Zero, uh, your, not Horizon Zero, no. your Naughty Dogs, your 343s, and all, your Turn 10s and all these games. These California, West Coast, uh, Seattle, Oregon based developers and then even some our European friends over there with uh like Playground and and, and Gorilla who make Horizon all these all these teams it's pretty obvious that you know the western world of gaming is kind of where the biggest and most influential games are coming from these days fucking Bethesda uh Ubisoft all these all these play all these uh publishers and developers and whatnot and so the move from Japan a lot has been like, we need to get more in bed with some of these Western developers. And Sega's doing that. But the thing that's more interesting to me here is we're also seeing them really double and triple down on Japanese development. This is something that excites me quite a bit because Square Enix is still like milking the same teams of people for Final Fantasy all the time. While on the other hand, they're, you know, Crystal Dynamics and IDOS Montreal and all these fucking teams from the West. And Konami basically just ghosted gaming years ago and have since started to toy around with the idea of like, well, we could license out our properties to like Sony and they could have like their Western teams start to make, you know, some of our games again, maybe for PlayStation or something like that. Again, getting more in bed with the West, laying off their Japanese focused teams. Sega, while yeah, I mean, they acquired, they've, they've fucked around a little bit with Western studios like Creative Assembly and we know they're working on FPS and they've gotten in bed with other Western developers in the past and they've worked with, uh, Gearbox and, and teams like that from time to time, we're seeing them really go hard on Japan where they have a new studio opening in Sapporo, which is 
a place where game development typically doesn't happen. Tokyo is the big city for game development. Otherwise, I mean, I guess you got, I guess you got Osaka and um, Kyoto if you're talking about Nintendo. But for the most part, Tokyo is where you know tech and the games industry and all that shit happens for the Japanese market. So this is them not only doubling down on Japan, but expanding Japan's like the the Japanese game scene into new territory, which is really noble and admirable. I mean, I'm. I'm sure there's reasons for it. Maybe it's cheaper to develop out there than it is in Tokyo or whatever. But this is cool because this addresses one of my big complaints I have with the games industry right now is that it's so samey. It's so incestuous. It's so... Uh, it's all the people from Santa Monica and Southern California and the UK and Seattle. And that's the only places where game developers are allowed to exist. And every game must come out of one of these specific five cities and all this shit. And it, it just breeds this like same talent that cycles through these same studios and creates these same kinds of games. It's kind of the thing I'm saying about Guardians of the Galaxy. Like it's a good game. It is an objectively good game. It's a really well put together game. It's a really well acted and written game. It's a very fun and entertaining romp. But Guardians of the Galaxy feels like a game I've played like a hundred times in the past 12 years. It's very unoriginal in that respect, despite being a very good game. This is what I'm talking about. It's like we get so much of that that I kind of want to see the creativity. I kind of want to see something new. I kind of want to see something come from someone's mind who isn't in the same circles with everyone else, who isn't in this very close-knit, incestuous video games industry that's cultivated over time. And this is kind of a solution, an answer to that. And, you know, who knows what this team's going to make? Maybe there's support on this super game project. You know, maybe they end up just being support on pre-existing Sega Teams games. Maybe they just help work with Ryu, Goku, uh, Gotokai, or whatever the fuck they're called, and Sonic Team, and all these other teams, and they just work on Fantasy Star and Sonic and, and Yakuza. I don't know. Maybe they just have support roles in that. Maybe they're an all-new team, and they're going to create an all-new IP in a genre that is has tons of room for potential and growth, and they're going to make a Japanese role-playing FPS game that's going to blow all of our minds and it's going to be super weeby in Japanese, but super high production, high budget, and, and next gen, and everyone's going to be like, what the fuck, this game, it's called Total Ass f- from from Japan, is so good, and it's made by the guys that make Sonic the Hedgehog, and everyone's falling over themselves to buy, and it's Step Aside Overwatch, this is the new game in town, who knows, but I love this potential, I love this I love this growth for a new market. It's kind of like how, you know, like 10 years ago, we really started to see game development in Canada start to boom and boom and boom. And, you know, now game development in Canada is pretty fucking common. I mean, for God's sake. You got Bioware out there in Canada and all these big teams. You got big Ubisoft teams out there. Obviously, no one's impressed with the fact that Canadian teams exist. But there was a time when it was like, oh, that's really fucking cool. Game development's like really growing and becoming a thing in Canada. And now... Canada's kind of like in with the fucking Californias of the world with like the same teams running around with the same people all the time. But I hope this is the start of something new, something fresh, some new kind of game, some new kind of team, some new kind of perspective, something to spice up the industry because the industry is getting a little too samey and I really welcome this. And I think it's crazy that Sega of all companies is bringing it to us because I don't think Sega is the first company that comes to anyone's mind when we think of like fresh, innovative, forward-thinking game publishers. So I love that. As someone who has such a soft spot for Sega, this gets me excited. Now, again, like I said, this could be much to do with support or back-end shit or marketing because it does talk about how the team is set to is set for... It's really vague because it says... Well, let's skip the first two. It says de- debugging sales, import and export of game hardware and software, planning production, sale of character products. That sounds like a lot of supportive and administrative and back off and corp- like work shit, not like creating game shit, more like supporting game shit. 
but it also does say developing and designing. So with all of that together, it sounds like a brand new from the ground up studio that's going to be doing the whole nine from top to bottom in-house in this team, which again, that sounds exciting. And I'm really curious to see what these guys are doing. Sega's an interesting team. Fantasy Star Online 2 might not be the biggest game, but it's pretty relevant to Xbox and I like it quite a bit. I think it's really good. I really need to get around to that new Genesis content, but Sega's doing some cool shit. You know, like it or love it, Sonic is one of the the, the coolest and, and last remaining character platformers around, and it's so, such a unique game in its own right. Again, whether you like it or not, Fantasy Star Online 2, one of the coolest MMO, JRPG type games out there. Very unique in its own right. It's not just another weeby Final Fantasy, uh, like knights and elves and cars with Prada boys all together. It's very, very interesting game. Yakuza, a very arcadey game. I love that Sega can still get really in touch with its arcadey roots and then applying that to like a really awesome story-driven game with like a, a linear open world kind of structure that works so well for such a unique, one-of-a-kind gaming experience. I just... I really think Sega just, they kind of have their shit on together. And honestly, Creative Assembly, shout out to them. Developers on Halo Wars 2, they are great RTS developers. They've worked on so many good, they've worked on so many good RTSs. They've worked on so many good games. And they are Sega-owned. Persona, one of the biggest fucking games. This JRPG life sim fucking game that people are are batshit crazy over, which I'll never play because it's not on Xbox. But people fucking love it. And that's Sega. And I don't know, they just, they, they seem to really have an eye, eye for a lot of variety and diversity that otherwise we, we lack in this industry. So I'm excited to see where this is going, just like with their Project Super Game. I'm really excited to see what Sega's got up its sleeve for the future as we continue to move into an otherwise pretty stale industry. Two more stories left for this week, guys. The last one is a doozy, but this next one's a quick one, and it is that VGC reports Quantic Dream, the developer behind the recently announced Star Wars Eclipse and PlayStation 4 exclusive Detroit Become Human, is currently developing a second AAA game alongside its Star Wars Eclipse projects, according to an insider with previous knowledge on the team's plans. Now, why are we talking about this PlayStation developer? Well, because they broke up with PlayStation after Detroit Become Human. So... Whatever they work on next is almost definitely coming to Xbox, which makes this relevant. Twitter user ACCNGT, who tweeted screenshots of Star Wars Eclipse days before it was officially revealed at the Game Awards, has claimed that another game is being developed with the core Paris team underway at Quantic Dream. So the main team is working on two projects at once. The game reportedly is being based on The Dark Sorcerer, which is a tech demo that Quantic Dream produced for the PS4 way back in the day. And in December this past year, we learned that December that Star Wars Eclipse could be three or four years away. So whatever this other project is, it could be a smaller scale project that's further along in development but maybe less exciting for them to reveal at something like the Game Awards. Could be something equally important that's coming out around the same time. Could be something coming out right afterwards. But it looks like they're having a second project in development. So what's exciting to know is that they're probably following one of those development cycles that we can't just do, especially for these more like single-player kind of sell all your copies in one week and then fuck off for a long time. They can't be doing this like one game every five years type deal. They need to be a little more agile, a little more like Remedy, who's finding ways to use smaller budgets to do more games over a shorter period of time. And I'm excited to see what Quantic Dream is doing because now this is a respected developer. This is a good developer. And now their projects are finally going to be coming Xbox side. And it seems like they're going to be the most agile and creative they've ever really been at a time where we're finally going to have access to their content. So I'm very excited for to learn more about whatever the hell this is. Hopefully this is a project we can learn about 
sooner rather than later. I mean, if they're willing to announce the Star Wars project way too fucking early, hopefully they can announce this project somewhat early. And the only reason I say hopefully is because, well, if we're going to have to wait forever and ever and ever for your next project, might as well know what else you're working on because otherwise you are just in the spotlight for no reason and otherwise don't exist. So whatever, interesting, something to definitely keep tabs on. Maybe we'll learn about it at the next non-existent E3. Although, of course, E3 will probably be digital this year and happen in some form or fashion. But let's move into our final story, which is a fucking three-part doozy. All right, so VGC reports that Grand Theft Auto parent company Take-Two have announced its intentions to acquire mobile games giant Zynga in a deal worth $12.7 billion dollars making it the biggest ever in the games industry, bigger than Bethesda. The deal will see the combination of Take-Two's blockbuster console and PC franchise, including Borderlands, GTA, NBA, 2K, Bioshock, with Zanga's hugely popular social gaming brands, including Farmville, Wars with Friends. In a statement, Take-Two said that the acquisition would establish one of the largest and most diversified mobile game publishers in the industry. Zynga currently has more than 183 million monthly active users playing its mobile games. Blows my mind. I had no idea those games were still that big. The company said Zanga's expertise could help its drive help drive its free-to-play and cross-platform ambitions and help take 2K's console PC properties to mobile in, in the near future. Frank Gibio, pardon the mispronunciation, will continue to serve as chairman and CEO of Zanga, while the management team of Take-Two will lead the com- combined companies. The Zanga, the Zanga deal presents the biggest acquisition ever in games, Eclipsing Tencent's investment in Supercell, which was $8.6 billion, and Microsoft's buyout of Bethesda, which was $8.1 billion. Take-Two will acquire all of its outstanding shares of Zanga in cash in stock transactions valued at nine, uh, sorry, stock transactions with a total enterprise value of approximately $12.7 billion. Frank Gibbio, CEO of Zanga, added that combining the expertise in mobile, next generation, Take-Two's best-in-class IP, this will enable the two to further advance their mission to connect the world through games while achieving significant growth and synergy. Blech. All right, so pin in that, and then we'll move on to part two. Obviously, a huge fucking acquisition. We just said bigger than Bethesda, bigger than Tencent. But how does this really apply to us on Team Xbox, right? Not really. Not too much in the in the, in the case that, you know, you think about Activision acquiring King in the mobile space, which are the Candy Crush publisher or developer or whatever. That was hugely important for them because, you know, us as hardcore gamers who may or may not give a shit about mobile gaming don't really think about that stuff because we're too busy playing elite games like Halo Infinite. To really realize how big mobile gaming is and how lucrative some of this shit is and the kinds of teams who should own and operate those kinds of teams are probably the people who've been doing it forever in the games space with the consoles and the PCs. And so this is a normal move. It's obviously a very diversifying and lucrative move for a team that wants to be in more than just one space as we see these things continue to evolve with services like Game Pass with things like PC gaming getting more popular than ever before with consoles starting to get more fluid in what they are and how they work with streaming becoming a thing with services becoming a thing. This is a new weird frontier and you want to be in a position where you're diversifying your portfolio. Everyone's doing it differently. PlayStation's doing it by heavily investing in VR. Xbox is doing it by heavily investing in streaming and game services like Netflix. And some companies are doing it by heavily investing in mobile. And some companies are doing it by heavily investing in some other form of metaverse. Nintendo's doing it by just being fucking weird and selling you a goddamn underpowered tablet with rip-off bad controllers that play really good Mario games that you can't get anywhere else. And so it's just kind of one of these things where 
This is a move to diversify your portfolio, make yourself more agile and unstable as things start to get a little weird in the industry shifts. Makes sense. Good move. These, you know, Farmville is not an Xbox game. Who gives a shit? Well, let's move on to part two and talk about how this starts to take hold in our game's uh, sphere. So after announcing the games industry's biggest deal, Take-Two said it's interested in further acquisitions. In an investor call following the deal's announcement, Take-Two said, or CEO Strauss Zelenik said that Rockstar's parent company remains on the lookout for further acquisitions, saying in terms of question regarding ongoing acquisitions, that's still something we'll be uh, interested in. We will close at this this transaction with a fort a fortress-like balance sheet with very little net debt. We accept the net cash position uh, position within a few years by fiscal 24. The business ending in with business year ending in 2024, March 3rd. Sorry, with business year ending in March 31st, 2024. Meaning, sometime a year from now or so, a year to a year and a half from now, they expect this to be a net cash pos- uh, position where from from as a result of this 12 billion dollar acquisition showing you just how much money they make and expect to make from this mobile entity um the quote reads we expect to generate positive cash flow on an ongoing basis as soon as the transaction closes and we expect the transaction to be uh to be a a creative so we'll be in powerful position to continue to acquire zone that continued in our approach the acquisition remains the same which is while looking at for great teams great ip and great transactions this transaction for example is expected to be accretive upon its closing. So they are spending a shit ton of money, and once all is said and done, they still think they'll already be generating positive cash flow, which is fucking insane. But they're not even done yet because they think this will put them in such a strong position that they'll be open to even more acquisition. And from there, who knows? I doubt they're probably looking for more mobile partners. It's probably like a one and done. You want to have your giant thing and then move on. So... I wonder if in a world where Tencent and Embracer Group and Microsoft are trying to take all the fun out of gaming by buying up every single human being who's ever developed anything on a computer, you got to think Take-Two's probably looking at this going, okay, we want to get a piece of the puzzle. We want a piece of the pie. We want to get in on the action. And so they might be positioning themselves to start acquiring more shit. And we saw them try to get, um, we saw them try to acquire Codemasters and then get snubbed by EA and so they, we've obviously seen them try to expand and grow in our more traditional games industry, and now we're seeing them do it in mobile, and who knows where we go next. I mean, could you imagine a reality in which maybe 2K buys Remedy? Because Remedy's probably sooner or later going to go the way of, of Insomniac and get bought up after a long time of trying to do an independent thing. And so this is where it starts. we start to see maybe... Not necessarily the rise of the next Embracer group, the next Tencent, the next Microsoft, who's just gobbling up everything in the world. But it could be the start of something like that. You know, Microsoft, or Activision and EA have made huge acquisitions and investments in recent years. And who knows? Take-Two seems hungry. It seems like they want to jump in on the action. So here we go. Another really powerful company. Going to make the industry just a little bit smaller for us all. But yeah, let's keep championing our favorite corporation because that's all right in part three of the story to make it even more relevant to us following the acquisition news with take two and zanga and speaking of an investor call following the deal's announcement take two ceo strauss zelnick said that zanga's expertise could help 
their drive for free-to-play cross-platform ambitions and help bring Take-Two's console PC properties to the mobile to add new game modes. Saying, quote, perhaps most importantly, we have the ability together from both a development and publishing point of view to optimize the creation of new titles based on Take-Two's core intellectual property. We believe that we have the best collection of console and PC IP in interactive entertainment business, and it's basically nearly entirely unexploited from mobile to free-to-play around the world. Zynga's best-in-class studios can help develop this property. Their best-in-class free-to-play mobile publishing operations can bring that to consumers and delight those consumers and create recurrent consumer spending along the way the list is endless blah 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 going forward ip and then okay let's end up with this let's wrap up with this as a reminder some of the ip that take two are known for and represent include grand theft auto red dead redemption midnight club nba 2k bioshock borderlands civilization mafia kerbal space program and most of those have like no presence in the mobile space take two's existing mobile offerings include the following dragon city Monster Legends, Top 11, Two Dots, and WWE Supercards. Now, I don't know if any of those games are popular. They're probably all massive and I've never heard of them. But combining that with Zanga's Words with Friends and Farmville and that kind of bullshit that they make, they can then also take the IP we just went over, Bioshock, Red Dead, Grand Theft Auto, Borderlands, and combine all of that into the mobile space. And what makes this weird is... Well, there's a couple things that makes this weird. First of all, Borderlands is... is created by borderlands is a game by borderlands is a gearbox game which is now owned by embracer group but borderlands the ip is published by take two so who knows where that gets split up but i can't help but see this and say we want to really invest in the mobile space with our ip with our mobile development team with zanga now but that's also going to take away our any real interest or desire to work with xbox in the mobile space with streaming and xcloud and game stuff like that which means we might not get to see more Red Dead and Grand Theft Auto and Bioshock kind of crossovers on Game Pass going forward because it might be a conflicting and competing clause or thing for them with their new efforts with Zanga and the mobile space there. So it might be another fragmentation in the market where we see everyone trying to get in and compete with Game Pass in their own little way and to try to be in the mobile and the console space at the same time in their own little way. And so this is another thing to keep in mind is the way that this is going to evolve and change the conversation and change everything. So we've got Take-Two, own Zanga, and they're going to try to bring their popular gaming franchises from the console space into the mobile space, and they're still interested in acquiring more, which means more popular games we love, which are going to be nabbed up by a big publisher and probably then forced into the mobile space through Zanga, and it's pretty gross, and it's pretty disgusting, and it's all we ever see these days. There's just big companies making everything smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, and, uh, yeah, not much more to say there, except the kinds of money we're seeing thrown around in the games industry is absolutely absurd. It is bringing it to a point where it, it's conflicting because you see teams like Undead Labs and Double Fine. We're talking about how it's awesome how Microsoft's money is allowing them to make the games they've always wanted to make and do really cool shit, makes Game Pass a better service, makes things easier, more accessible for gamers, and makes developers have more tools and means to make whatever their passion projects are. That's great. But at the same time, it's getting to a point where it's like you cannot survive as a publisher or a game developer unless you have an ungodly amount of money to buy up all the talent in the world you just cannot stand to do it on your own and we're gonna build it's it's like this uh how they talk about it in america the the erosion of the middle class how there's only the super wealthy and the super poor and it's almost like that's what we're doing in the games industry where it's like 
going to be impossible to be an independent game publisher or developer for like standard, like regular 3D medium to big budget games. It's going to be these super small indie developed games of with teams of like one to eight people who make little sprite based games. And then the big publishers who have all the fucking money and all the talent in the world to make whatever the fuck they want. But it's still probably some kind of Far Cry knockoff because that's all anyone wants to make these days. And that's basically all you're left with in the industry because acquisitions are cool and Xbox is awesome because they use all their Microsoft money to buy all the talent away from PlayStation owners. And that's so, so cool. I love it. So cool, guys. Team Xbox. But I don't know. I, I never read those stories. I'm like, wow, I feel optimistic about the future. I just read them. I'm like, I, what, what do you want me to say? Everything sucks. And on top of all that, on top of the monopolization of the industry and how much it's just boring to see people be like, I lack creativity. So unlike Sega, who's going to create a new development studio, which is awesome, a new team of people who can create cool shit, I'm just going to throw my money around and buy people. I'm going to buy Zanga. The least interesting... Like, I know Zanga isn't what it was, like... Back in the day, I always think of like Zanga circa 2006. So to me, I'm like, Zanga, that's like the thing that was popular before MySpace, like the social media platform thing with gaming. But it's like, no, dude, that's not that's not what people mean by Zanga. You know, Don Magic's Zanga. No, people mean like stupid mobile games for like fucking like housewives to play on their iPhone XR or whatever the fuck it is they do these days. And and, and I guess that's where the, the industry's headed because fuck us. But hey... At least we're getting Sonic uh, Sonic Frontiers this year, so there's that to look forward to. Guys, that's going to do it for all of our big news this week. Now, let's wrap up the week real quick with our uh, with our important, enu- our important news. These are important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which we have uh, two or three, four. Real quick, VGC reports an Xbox port of the 2020 PC strategy game Age of Empires is currently being tested according to code name that has been discovered. According to Alumia underscore Italia and Twitter, who keeps an eye on Microsoft code names has been viewed in the insider Xbox hub that a code is available showing uh, car, sorry, XIP car, January, 2022 in which car means Cardinal, the internal code name for Microsoft's age of empires, which is super nerdy that you know that, but apparently maybe on its way to Xbox, similar to how they brought flight simulator over to Xbox. VGC also reports that Amazon prime's fallout TV show um, from Kilster films and production behind HBO's Westworld is slated to enter production later this year. Captain Marvel and Tomb Raider 2018 film co-writer Geneva Robertson Dwarit and Silicon Valley co-executive producer Graham Wagner have also been appointed as showrunners. VGC reports Paramount have reportedly signed a deal with Epic Games to bring some of its characters into Fortnite, according to Xbox era writer Nick Baker, who reported the news in the latest edition of the publication's podcast, saying, quote, I've been told there are apparently that apparently Paramount has signed a deal with Epic to bring properties like uh, to Fortnite, claiming uh, sorry, the main one I heard about was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming to Fortnite, which would be amazing. That that's I think that's a very cool, appropriate one for, for Fortnite. I welcome that one. And then finally, the mid-season update for Call of Duty Vanguard and Warzone Season 1 has been detailed. As previously uncovered by data miners, Vanguard in Warzone will receive Attack on Titan crossover to coincide with the popular anime's final season. So that's exactly opposite to TMNT coming to Fortnite. That is so lame. Fortnite gets TMNT, Warzone gets Attack on Titan. You can clearly see why, despite my love of Call of Duty's multiplayer and campaigns and zombies, Fortnite is a much better Battle Royale game. 
case closed, suck. I don't know, Activision's cock or something because they probably got in trouble for that too. All right, guys, that's going to do it for all of our news for the week. Guys, you will never believe it, but something came back. Xbox Wire started posting the new game release blog of the week thing list. So we we got a list of new games coming to Xbox this week. Holy hell, it's been so long. There are 10 new games coming this week. Let me, let me run through them for old time's sake. We got Super Sammy Roll, January 10th. This looks like one of those Pokemon with a hard dinosaur head, but he's in a Captain Toad world. Never seen that before. We got Demonica Everlasting Night, which looks like some anime guy getting very strong in a, in a ball of blue fire, which is weird. And then we got the Anacrusis, which is launching Thursday. It's a game preview game, but I'm really excited to try this. This is from a lot of talent from the old Left 4 Dead, but it's like 70s contemporary futurism alien shooter game. Looks pretty cool. And we got Mushroom Wars 2, which is a game where you play as a guy on psychedelic drugs in the middle of a war. Sense is coming out on January 13th. It is a cyberpunk ghost story where you play as some cyberpunk chick and she's in a world where you can fucking buy drugs or something. Spelunky 2 releases January 13th. I, didn't, I thought Spelunky 2 already came out, but here it is. The sequel to the beloved Xbox Live Arcade game, Spelunky. Aerie comes out on January 14th. This is a game where you play as a bird in a spaceship. This is a terrible idea. Birds should not be able to survive in space. They probably can't. I'm sure as soon as that bird gets out of the spaceship, it will die. Battle Brothers releases January 14th. This looks like Civilization meets Age of Empires meets Oregon Trail, and it makes me very depressed. Kenis Kansei, the second turn HD, comes out January 14th. This looks like one of those fucking, this is one of those anime manga games for weeby people who have a fetish for anime girls with uh, disproportionate body sizes. Operation Zeta comes out January 14th. This is like if the 3DS tried to copy Among Us, but it wasn't good. And that's going to do it for all the new games coming out. You guys, I'm so goddamn excited for you. Man, it's been so long since we've been able to do that segment. It's kind of just exciting and refreshing. But as a real quick wrap-up reminder, Games of Gold, for the month of January, you got Nero Voider, which is available all month. You got Agground, which is available from January 16th to February 15th, so almost ready to download that bitch. Radiant Silver Gun is available until the 15th, so download it now if you haven't already. You got almost no time left. And Space Invaders is available. Space Invaders Infinity Gene is available January 16th to the 31st. And with that said, guys, wow, we made it through another episode of Xbox On. I cannot believe it. Guys, I would not be surprised if this is probably one of the least listened to episodes of Xbox on. There's so much weird, incoherent rambling. There's so much like, is this guy on cocaine type of reactionary shit going on to the way I talk? I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. I'm very tired right now, but I cannot wait for you guys to, to unleash this episode for you all to listen to it. I understand why we get so many crazy people commenting on the show now because I am one of you. I am a fucking crazy person, apparently, but I do love Xbox and you do too. And let's cherish that. So while the world continues to be gobbled up by the same three corporations over and over again, and uh, while we continue to fucking focus on NFTs instead of like affordable like uh, uh, life for humans so they can like not die because eggs cost like seven dollars now, um, let's just let's just celebrate Xbox and uh, enjoy our community together, guys. 
I am live on Twitch every Monday night, 8 p.m. at Lightning Extreme on Twitch. I am also on YouTube at Lightning Extreme. That is my main Twitch channel where I'm posting videos I put a lot of hard work into, and I hope you guys enjoy. They're supposed to be funny. They're supposed to make you giggle till you wiggle, and I hope they are doing just that. I should have a new one up this week, probably Sunday. Don't hold me to it, though. And then, of course, subscribe to Xbox on Rate it, review it, iTunes, only if it's going to be five stars, of course. Spotify, you know I'm there. CastBox, whatever you use, it's all there. Guys, thank you so much, as always, for the support. Really do appreciate it so very much. Hope you're all having a wonderful month of January. Happy birthday to my mom. And until next week, power your dreams. This world.
Something where I need help.